This is a podcast from Illuminus. We are a coaching and leadership development company dedicated to helping organisations raise their performance and achieve lasting change. In this podcast, we talk to Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, CBE. He is the 50th anniversary Professor of Organisational Psychology and Health at the Alliance Manchester Business School. He is also Chair of the National Forum for Health and Wellbeing at Work. He was President of the CIPD, the British Academy of Management, Relate and the Institute of Welfare. He has been voted the most influential HR thinker by HR Magazine and is a Fellow of the American Academy of Management. His latest book, published in 2022 and co-authored with Sean O'Meara, is Remote Workplace Culture, How to Bring Energy and Focus to Remote Teams. Good morning, Kerry, and thank you for joining us today. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Could I start by asking you to outline some of the broad themes that will define remote workplace culture? Okay, well, for me, it's something, by the way, we wanted pre-COVID. You know, we're talking now about uh, uh, hybrid working, flexible working, all sorts of uh, euphemisms like that. But pre-COVID, people wanted to work flexibly. It's just that we learned in the pandemic that this can work, Mm -hmm. uh, but not the way it happened in the pandemic. So we didn't want to work 100% from home. Very, very few wanted to do that. We wanted much more social contact, but we wanted to be, in a sense, in control of our own work life, in a sense. We wanted work-life integration rather than work-life balance. We wanted to be able to work uh, where we needed to. So we have to be in a central office environment to socialize with our colleagues, to team build, to develop new products and services, to go to important meetings with clients or something. But we don't want to do that all the time. And so flexible working um, is now embedded throughout the developed world, now in every culture just about, although there are some investment banks, um, which will be nameless here, uh, where they say you have to be in five days a week, which is lunacy because in in a sense, what they're gonna, the organizations that demand that, uh, where people could work more flexibly will actually lose the talent because that's what that gener- the Z generation and the and the young millennials will not tolerate it. So, you know, I think we're there. But it raises more issues than just flexible working. It, and for me, the really big issue that it raised during the pandemic was um, the line manager. So when you talk about remote working, what follows on from that is the question, do we have the right line manager from shop floor to top floor? Because people in the past, pre-pandemic, and even now, tend to be promoted or recruited based on their technical skills, not their people skills. In a remote working environment or a flexible working environment, what do we have? We have people, some of them are going to be in the office, some are going to be at home. The major, so how do you team build in that kind of context? That's one. Number two, we know the leading causes of uh, sickness absence in the UK and every developed country, incidentally, is what we call the common mental disorders of stress, anxiety, and depression. 57% of all sickness absence rates last year, or the year year before the pandemic hit, because during the pandemic was difficult to estimate this. 
uh, was 57% of all uh, long-term sickness happens for stress, anxiety, and depression. Very, very, the, by far the biggest. Next one below that is muscular skeletal, backache, and the like. That used to be 25 years ago, the leading cause. So how do you recognize when people aren't coping? They have unmanageable workloads. They're burning out. And if we, and, and given the context of people working, probably many of them substantially from home, and coming into the workplace max probably two days a week. In that kind of context, you've got to have an emotionally literate line manager to be able to recognize when people aren't coping because you're not seeing them around the place as often as you used to. So that's another element of that. So there's a lot of add-ons, as you can see, to the whole issue of flexible uh, hybrid or remote working that we have to, that are, are going to change the landscape, in my view, of, uh, of, the, of the workplace. So the future is, yeah, flexible working. Yeah, a new line manager. So that right now when we recruit or promote people to that kind of role, we have to ensure that there's parity between their people skills and their technical skills. And by the way, that's been a problem for us for a long time, particularly in the UK, where our productivity is bottom of the G7 and 17th in the G20 countries on productivity per capita. It's still a problem. And I think it's about, uh, substantially about, not in totally about, but substantially about we have the wrong kind of management in place. Now, you say that um, extroverts and introverts may respond differently to remote working. Um, and that writing will take over from speaking. What, what do you mean by that? Okay, well, I think we know that, uh, you know, extroverts thrive in, a, in, a, in an office. They dominate meetings uh, and the rest of it. But it's now changing. Meetings are going to be still probably more online than face-to-face. Um, that's, or, or, or it'll be a hybrid model of some in the office and some online. Um, and I think the introvert has much more of an opportunity now than the extrovert in a way. Um, I think the writing thing is that we're still working a lot on our laptops and things wherever we're working. Um, I, I just think that this is going to change quite a lot and probably for the good in a way, in the sense that maybe we'll get more diverse interaction. People come, you know, people who are more introverted coming into play than we used to have in the past. Um, or it depends how it, how, how it, again, it depends on the line manager's EQ, emotional intelligence, because it could be that the extrovert could dominate in this hybrid world by still dominant, you know, so if we have more EQ line managers, they'll recognize when somebody is an extrovert is dominating the scene on, on uh, a virtual meetings or hybrid type meetings. So it's going to be an issue. And the good news, I think, again, is if we understand that the role of the line manager is so significant, in how we proceed in the future, how we team build, how we ensure that we get voice in, you know, employee voice into it and get as many diverse opinions. And, and I mean, this again goes back to 
things like uh, getting more women, ethnic minorities into management roles uh, and into the system. Diversity is what we're going to need to do more of in this, again, hybrid remote working environment. Yes, because you also say in the book that um, when we see the advance of AI and automation in business systems, it may be the middle portion of the management tree that um, is more under threat. It's the middle managers whose jobs may be uh, more challenged by the advance of AI and so forth. But what, I, what I think we were trying to say there is that's what a lot of people are saying will happen. Hey, every time we have a technological innovation, they say, oh, we're going to get rid of middle management. I've heard that in my career, over 40 years, I think I've heard that so many times. Oh, yeah, that, that computers are going to do that. Uh, you know, uh, social media is going to do that. Uh, Technology is going to do that. And, it, and, and middle management's gone. You know, we'll have flatter organizations. I've never seen it in my career. We need middle managers. They're, they're useful. And uh, however, I think the perception is AI will dump those people. What I think it will do, AI will just give you an opportunity of uh, for, for your product or service of, of doing it in a different sort of way. So, for example, let's take uh, corporate lawyers, people who have to look at mergers and acquisitions and do all this. AI will help them read the contracts now. So instead of looking at, I, I know this as my son-in-law talks about this and he's a kind of corporate lawyer and, and, he, and he says, oh, AI helps them with contracts now, pinpoints where the problems are, huge complex contracts. So rather than do 50 hours of work, you may be doing one or two, right? But that frees him up to do other things and think more creatively. Um, so I, I, I don't think we're gonna get rid of middle management. I think middle management will always be around. We may, we may drop a level here and there, um, in, in in the hierarchy, but not much, um, because people at the top tend to want to do more strategy. There are people at the bottom who are delivering, and there has to be something in the middle that translates the strategic goals of a company into helping people at the bottom deliver that. And I think we'll all—I think we'll always have that. I—I I, I think it's the death knell of of the middle manager is a, a cry that I've heard for for too long. It it won't happen. It never has happened. Because um, AI can um, uh, take away repetitive and boring and monotonous work, but it can't. It can't spot problems. No, it can't spot problems. It can't spot when people are having difficulty delivering. So if you're a middle manager, you know, you have people uh, working with you who, you know, you, you have to help them deliver. And it's a support system. Um, and middle managers are actually very good if you're good at doing that role and you have the good social interpersonal skills. Very useful for getting higher productivity out of people. You motivate them, you do that sort of thing. It'll also, of course, take away from the tedious stuff that some middle managers have to do. So AI may actually help middle managers do more. But the perception is, the outward perception is AI is going to dump all our, our, our jobs or middle management jobs. It won't do that. Every new technology just creates new products, new services, and that's all it does. 
and but we have still the same number of people. We also hear the death knell of 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 uh, you know we're going to go down to a twenty hour week. We had that in the I, I'm that old. We had that during Hel Harold Wilson's time when he was talking the new heat of technology in the 1960s when I first came to Britain as a student, and he was talking about the twenty hour week, um, the leisure era because technology would actually make it easy. No, it's never done that. In fact, we're working longer hours now than we did in the 60s. Exactly. Um, uh, you say that remote working um, is not a silver bullet for fixing bad culture. The stuff that makes work unpleasant will follow it. Uh, oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm really very much engaged in, in the kind of well-being agenda, organizational well-being. Now, what does organizational well-being mean? It doesn't mean beanbags, ping pong tables, mindfulness at lunch, sushi at your desk, uh, smoothies on the well-being day, um, and massages at your desk. It doesn't mean any of that. Well-being is a strategic approach to change the culture of an organization, to make, and that doesn't have to be the whole organization, just be your part of it. What you as a, as a, a line manager do with your team. It could be the whole organization, but it, it's much more strategic and should be thought of it strategically. It should be things like our strategy on flexible working rather than three plus two or two plus three, which everybody's talking about. You have to come in two days or three days or you have to come in five days or four days or whatever. That's lunacy. What flexible working should be is the individual negotiates with the line manager about what suits each of them. So we're developing a psychological contract. This is what HR should have been doing years ago, which is to encourage line managers to negotiate with each employee. Hey, here's what I expect of you. What do you want from me? And then come up with an, an agreement. So I would like to come in on, you know, to do that, that, and that. I wanna come in five days a week, or I wanna come in three days a week, but here are the things I'd like to come in for. Then the the boss or line manager says, no, what I need you in for is X, Y, and Z. I need you in for that meeting, for that client, blah, 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 blah. and then you come up with an, an agreement. That's what that should be. That's part of the strategy. That's one part of the puzzle. The other part of the puzzle, again, is do we have the right cadre of line managers? Uh, again, as I said, social interpersonal skills. And you know what I would do there almost immediately if I was an, if I was an HR director of a company, I would first say, sit down um, with all my team, the HR team, and say, okay, where do the bodies lie? In other words, who are the really technically competent, but not very good at people management managers we have, looking all the way from the bottom, all the way to the top. So I would do an audit of every line manager. Probably 40% have good natural social and interpersonal skills empathic, EQ, so that's fine. They've got it naturally. 40% don't have it naturally. They've been promoted entirely on their technical skill, So, but are trainable. Now, the problem we do have is there's about, probably in every organization, there's 10 to 20% who shouldn't be in a line management role, shouldn't be, anywhere, shouldn't be put anywhere near people. They're good technically, but just lousy people managers. And therefore, we have to acknowledge that and say, look at that person, let's take this manager role away from them. 
but they're good technically. Keep them in the IT role. Keep them in whatever role it is. They, they're good at marketing that and let them do that. And so that's another part of a strategy. That is a part of it. The other kind of uh, aspects of strategies are how many hours should people work? What about a four-day working week? Um, what about, I mean, there's a whole load of things that could make up a strategy. But to do that, you should do employee voice. So behind a strategy is you find out, and a lot of companies are doing this now, well-being audits of employees, how they perceive all aspects of the organization, how they're managed, how they're communicated to, whether they can work flexibly or not. Uh, do, uh, do they get supports when they're not coping? What's the mental health issues that we've got among our employees, given it's a leading cause of sickness absence? You collect all that information up by uh, psychometrics that are out there, tons of them and really good ones. And then from that, you build up. So you get employee voice, you build up a strategy to deal with the problems. And you make it strategic in the sense that somebody on the board, a non-executive director, should be responsible for employee health and well-being. The, and I don't know if you know this, the NHS, every hospital in the NHS has a non-executive director on the board whose sole responsibility is employee health and well-being. That's the only organization in the United Kingdom that actually has that. And, and, and we're going to get change. The only way change is going to go, you know, we can hear over and over again, the most valuable resource we have is our human resource. How often do we hear that from senior management? But they need the metrics to measure whether they're actually adhering to employee health and well-being. They need the metrics to determine what means well-being job satisfaction levels, labor turnover, data on sickness absence rates, how people perceive how they're managed, whether people can or cannot work flexibly. All of those are metrics we either have or could have to hold an organizational accountable, but we need somebody on the board who's responsible for it. As you actually say, investing in things like, instead of investing in things like hammocks and football tables, companies should be investing in good lighting and mattresses so that employees sleep well at night. Well, the one thing is, even that is a top, a top issue. This is an interesting thing, Brenton. I run the National Forum for Health and Wellbeing. I'm chair of the National Forum, which I created for health and well-being at work. I created that four and a half, five years ago, made up of HR directors, chief medical officers, directors of health and well-being of some of the biggest companies in the world. Okay, Microsoft, uh, BP, Shell, BT, um, GlaxoSmithKline, um, uh, the um, uh, uh, civil service, U UK government civil service, um, NHS exec, BBC, etc. Okay, one of the issues they have raised, aside from the line manager and the things we've been talking about, one of the issues they raise is, and we had, by the way, somebody come in to inform us about sleep because that's a big problem. But one of the issues they raised was the, uh, the whole issue of uh, uh, the right to disconnect, that emails are destroying people's lives because people are sending them technology generally at all hours of the day. So we need guidance. My national forum actually set up a four-page guidance thing. A group of them came together. Um, and one of the members was at that time the managing director of, of Twitter, as it, as it happens, by the way. And we came up, looked at the science, and we came up with the science telling us 
emails are damaging people's personal life because people are sending them on a Friday night over the weekend while people are on holidays. And, and we have to have, I'm not for a right to disconnect law like they have in France, Portugal, New Zealand, because that says no line manager can send an email out of office hours to their subordinates. That's a law in those countries. Now, I'm not for that because if we're going to have flexible working and you want to pick your kids up at 3.30, but work at night, how do you do it if, if servers are closed down in the evening or there's a right to disconnect law? But we should have guidance. Don't send emails out of office hours to people and absolutely necessary. Certainly not at night if they're trying to get to, they need a good night's sleep. If they get an email at eight or nine o'clock at night, it's going to worry them. They're not going to get a good night's sleep. So we have to have guidance. That's part of, by the way, of the strategy. That would be, that would be strategic well-being would have a whole package of things that we need to do. Uh, and we are an extremely high email culture in the UK, one of the highest in the developed world, too developed. And uh, we, need, we need to control it, not eliminate it. It's got a lot of good, good bits to it. But we have to control it for people's health and well-being to get a good night's sleep, that they're not troubled, uh, and their family get infected by the stress of the job. We don't need that anymore. Okay. Um, now, looking um, at the remote working in terms of recruitment, um, you say that um, recruitment is no longer geography specific, and you can now recruit from anywhere in the world. Um, uh, so organizations have to become much more flexible to take that into account and also be aware that all their competitors can do the same thing as well. Yeah, absolutely. I do think, though, people need from time to time to do face-to-face -face, uh, meetings with, with their colleagues. We just need to do that. You can recruit anywhere now. That's happening already, right? That's happening already. But then again, we go back to the line manager. Boy, we're going to have to have people who know how to do this and engage the people who are recruited from, you know, so you're a, a business in Manchester and you recruit somebody who lives in London, wants to live in London all the time, but would, would, will come up from time to time. You can go globally. You can do somebody from Ireland and they just fly over from time to time. You've got to find, you've got to have somebody who finds a way of engaging them. Because I think one of the problems we had during the pandemic, people who were hired during the pandemic had real problems because they were working 100% remotely. And they had very little contact with the people who they were working with. Uh, you know, they virtually, yeah, Zoom and all the rest of it. Uh, yeah, I think people can be hired just about anywhere, but face-to-face -face contact is needed from time to time. We've got to build that into it and see if it's realistic. So if I get want to hire somebody in Dubai, to work with me in Manchester, that's going to be difficult. But, but we have to find a way that that can work. And by the way, I think we should talk openly about that when we're recruiting people. You know, how are we going to do this? Because from time to time, we need you here. Not often, but, you know, how are we going to do this? Would it work? How will it work for you and your family? But we're much more open now. I mean, I, you know, and, and that's a good thing in a way because uh, people can now do jobs that they formerly couldn't do because they wanted to stay where they lived. And, and you also say uh, uh, on the other side of the coin, employees will have to develop remote working skill sets as well. 
to the oh absolutely the yeah i mean can you imagine the kind of training that we're going to start needing we're, we're just going to need it i think we think we know how to do it because of the pandemic but i'm not sure we do because it is going to still be a hybrid model in some form or another people will still need for their own job satisfaction levels to to meet colleagues and get their social needs met we have to find ways of doing this and uh, a lot of companies are thinking this through you know we're, we're we're in this new world and and the good news is everything's been thrown up in the air and the good news is now we can manage where these bits of the puzzles can join you know we can throw it in the air and say hey look at we need to still do a little bit of that and a little bit of that but boy what a new world we're living in um, uh, in the book, you refer to the third workplace. Can you can you say a bit more about what you mean by that? Uh, um, I think that's just about that. That, to some extent, is about people having what uh, what we used to call the empty raincoat stuff. Uh, you know that people can work kind of anywhere. It doesn't just have to be from home. Um, and we're going to get, we're just going to get more of that. We're going to get up to, but I think a fundamental in all of this is people still need so, some social connectedness. A social connectedness. That's why I always hated during the pandemic when we talked about uh, social distancing. I would rather have said physical distancing, but social connectedness. So I think it just, anything, anything goes now, really. You can work partly from home, partly on the move, partly, you know, in a central office environment. You can have multiple jobs, half time there, half time, third there, third there, third there. Think about the world we're going into now. Uh, but I think we do have to take into account the one area that trouble. Well, I have a couple areas that trouble me. One area is young people learn from the experience of older people. So I suspect we need to in and understand that maybe younger people, because some people will go almost too heavy on flexible working and say to young recruits, yeah, you work from home, come in one day a week, when actually they need to be there more often. That's one thing, because that's where they learn from people who do come in, the experienced people don't have to be there every day, but they, they certainly do. That's one area. Another area I'm kind of concerned about in the flexible working agenda is uh, what I call the gender promotion gap. Will women work more from home and men, because they're very pol organizationally political and very much into being ambitious, go in more often because they show FaceTime, will get the promotions and women's, the, the gender promotion gap will get grow great, greater and women will less will be less able to push up the glass ceiling. As a consequence, that's another negative on it. But I think if we're aware of those kinds of things, young people do need to learn, you know, in that first couple of years. Women need to be, when you're assessing them for promotion and everything else, you'd have to look at the bottom line of what they deliver, not just whether they show FaceTime or not. Because I think, didn't you also say that um, uh, you're right, obviously, about younger people needing to be in the office more so that they can learn from more experienced people. Um, companies will have to be more overt about setting up processes to make sure that young people can come in more often and that the older people are there to share their wisdom and experience of the business. 
and that has to be done much more thoughtfully and rigorously than it might be done than it might be done now. Yeah, I mean, what, what what managers I think have to think through is they have to say to themselves, what are the um, indirect consequences of hybrid working? What could what do we have to take notice of? Again, the younger people. The women maybe not being as present because men will probably turn up more. I don't know if this is going to be the case. Just uh, anecdotally, everybody I hear from tells me that the men are going in more often than the women, right? And there are consequences of that because showing FaceTime means you're there and people see you and you play the organization politics. And that kind of overrides what, people are necessarily delivering and that so these are the kinds of issues I think we have to think through um, and uh, you know we are I mean I think you know HR and organizations are really up for thinking this through other than the ones who say you can't you have to work in the central office all the time but that they're they're the dinosaurs there are not many of them around uh, except there is a government department where somebody puts stickers on your desk, if yes. you recall, so and says, uh, where are you? So, so sorry that you're not here. Uh, so sorry you're not here. Can you believe it? Our day and age. Anyway. Uh, now, you say that um, some workers may be found out by remote working, but will still be able to add value to the business. What did you What did you mean by that? Okay, I think what we we're trying to say about that is uh, that some people may take advantage of, rem- of remote working, but in a way, so here, here's what here's a potential scenario. So I, uh, I like working from home. I like the freedom of it. I like going out and playing golf for a half a day, um, and, and but I'm going to get my job done. So the point is there are people, look at, if I say you can work flexibly, and flexibly for you means I go on a day or two a week, um, but I know what I have to get done, and I get it done, and yeah, you know what? I do then go play golf for a few hours, okay? By the way, I don't, I don't see any problem with that. If they get the job done, who cares? Do you know, I mean, if flexible working means flexible working, then it means... Here's what you have to do. You have to deliver. Your line manager will ensure that you deliver and know it. Uh, And how you do it and when you do it, you may work your socks off from nine to three and then take off, right? No lunch, you go right through, you do that. So you can do something else in your life. That's called work-life integration. That's trying to do it. Or picking up your kids and spending a few hours with them. And then maybe working at night if you have to. Hey, we have to trust people. But again, what it means for the line manager, I guess, is, you know, they'll be having to look at the bottom line for all of us and say, hey, Cooper, you haven't delivered. I noticed you have you've only written one article this month in an academic journal. You know, what the hell you've been doing with your time? You know, I mean, we all have that. We all have metrics that that line managers measure our, you know, their direct reports on. And uh, so I, I think it's, I think that really we, in a funny sort of way, I'm, I'm for the four day working week because I think we're more concentrated, we'll get it done and we kind of reward ourselves with an extra day off. I think we will be, well, the evidence from Sweden, Iceland, 
New Zealand on all the studies that have been done. And now we have, what is it, 90 organizations in the UK about to be involved in the four-day working week. I think we'll find that working four days is more productive because we're more concentrated. We don't waste a lot of time. We get, get what we have to get done by then. Um, and um, so in effect, there'll maybe some people who, you know, will deliver but won't work the 50 hours they would, 50 or 55 hours they would have worked if they'd have been in a central office environment. Well, there's the old saying that work expands to fill the time available. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, um, you say that even when working remotely, employees should still be able to bring their whole selves to work. What, what did you mean by that? I just I think what we what we were trying to say about that was that, you know, we, we need more openness at work. I mean, this is the mental health issue, to be honest with you. We have a real problem. Just just come to work, be yourself, you know, and be honest about things that you're doing, you know, problems you may have in your family. We need more. We need more managers in the work environment who are more open. And we've had good examples of it. We've had a Several CEOs have admitted they've had depression and everything else. The whole self means don't just play a role. Come to work as who you are. You know, the one thing good I think about the pandemic, which I really liked, and a side effect nobody ever talks about, which is when we always had these meetings, people were talking about the problems they were having. I have a daughter who's had long, got COVID, it's long COVID now. You saw families. You saw the human being more funny enough, virtually than we ever did if we were entering a, an office environment. The whole self, we, we, we play roles at work. We go in pre-pandemic days when we all went in offices for 50 or 60 hour weeks. Uh, we were, we, except to a few people who you're really close to for, whole, for personal reasons. I think we didn't, we didn't bring our whole self in. I think the pandemic made us bring our whole self in. People got sick, people died, people in the families died, people were severely ill in hospital. And we talked about that. I noticed every one of my meetings with outside or inside the university or with people I've done research with, much more open discussion about who they were. We found out more about people, their whole self, rather than just the role. I think that's healthy in a time when stress, depression, anxiety is a problem for society generally, and certainly a problem in the workforce. Because um, um, towards the end of the book, you say that uh, more remote working means less management and more autocracy. So individuals become more, power, more empowered and have more control over how they work and how they manage yeah. their working and, and their personal lives. Yeah, that's right, they do. I mean, what you're doing by, the, one of the leading causes of stress at work, which we've known for three decades, is lack of autonomy and control over your job, right? What does flexible working provide? Gives you more control to have work. That's if it's done properly. If it's done where they, it's mandated, you have to be in, we mandate you have to be in these four days 
or these three days. That's not flexible working. We expect you in Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Why? Why those days? And if you say, we expect you in Monday because we're having the, the meeting for the week, that's fine. That's an explanation. Why Tuesday? No, nothing. It's just, I think we need, you know, I mean, come on. You're empowering people by allowing them in conjunction with you, management. It's got to be a psychological contract. You build with your line manager. You build it. You're building a, a set of relationships. It's difficult for the line manager because there's going to be different people want having different needs and managing that. Then we go back to the social interpersonal skills of the line manager. The ones who have it will be able to do it. They'll be able to do the psychological contract. They'll be able on the basis of the, the, uh, the contracts they have with all their direct reports, be able to manage that. It's not going to be easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but that's what management's about. And, you know, it's about, you know, in, in motivating people, engaging them, uh, getting them to feel they have some ownership in their job. If we can do that, I think it'll be very successful in the long run. Very successful for us. Hey, it can't be any worse if we're at the bottom of the G7 and 17th in the G20 on productivity per capita. You know, we have a, we had we've had this problem for a long time. Productivity puzzle. It's been there for such a long time. Perhaps this will help. Yeah. Um, well, that's fantastic. That has been a really um, enjoyable talk. Um, it's been very illuminating about your book. Uh, thank you for spending the time with us today. Thank Thanks, you very much, Thank you very much. I enjoyed it. This was a podcast from Illuminus. To find out more about how we could work with you, visit our website at illuminus.com.